What if I steal your brain and I put it in my body and we have a, a Freaky Friday situation going on here? The chain's not that helpful because then it makes it seem like that they're both the same chain, like all the chains are connected. But they're, I, they're two different people. I'm putting my foot down. Teenagers weren't even like a concept until the 50s, really. But I think when those sorts of groups are created, it creates this whole new thing you can identify with and can characterize you and how you act and how you think of yourself. Welcome back to Coming In Without Context. My name is Erin Lowe, and I'm thrilled to be the host of today's episode. I'm here with Hope, and we will start by talking about a fascinating topic while Dylan is banished. And then after a few minutes, Dylan will rejoin us, come in without context, if you will, and we will bamboozle him with our conversation. How are you doing, Hope? I'm doing great. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing all right. This is very exciting and nerve-wracking. <laughs> so what's your topic? <laughs> well, basically, I get a little bit too excited about metaphysics, which has nothing to do with my career or life for the most part. But it's the part of my degree that I found really fascinating just because I think it's an important part of why we're here, understanding our reality. And so I want to take us down the road of personal identity today. And I don't want to go too far down the technical parts of it because I just want to have this conversation. And that being said, if anyone who listens to this is familiar with this topic, they'll probably wonder why we're not talking about some of the technical components like Leibniz's law and the principle of the indiscernibility of identicals, but we're not even going to touch on that. So I just want to start. My question for you is, what do you think constitutes personal identity? Well, I feel like the things that are discussed a lot, at least in classes I'm in, are things like, I even had to fill out like a, a chart in one of my classes at one point in college, is like um, race, ethnicity, um, sexuality, religion, nationality, family structure was included on that one, uh, language I think was included on that, gender, is definitely included. Mm -hmm. Just any sort of like group of people that you can feel like you're a part of and like mangling all those groups together. I don't know if mangling was the right word. <laughs> Mixing all those groups together to constitute like who you are and who you identify as. Yeah, I think that's a really good way to put it. And there's so many ways to look at this question too. Because, I mean, there's the question of personal identity in a metaphysical sense, but also in a social sense. And when, I mean, we're talking about any of these questions, most people maintain intersectional identities, right? So yeah. that's part of the problem we see with a lot of research when, I mean, it comes to any sort of social issue, but that researchers have a really hard time identifying like what the constant is when it comes to a person's identity because usually they exist at this intersection of multiple identities and how do you define that how do you understand that mm -hmm. so I guess there are a couple of ways we could go about talking about this and I think that 
the social component is really important. And I think we could talk about social issues in the context of identity, or we could take a step back and think about like what it even means to have an identity that persists over time, like in a metaphysical sense. Okay. Maybe we start with the metaphysical because I do think that that in a way underlies a lot of our social identities. And I mean, there are obviously there are a lot of different areas of metaphysics, right? And some of them investigate things like what is real? And some of them investigate things like what can we know? I guess that's epistemology, but some of them are talking about like the metaphysics of race, the metaphysics of gender. Um, are they real? And if they're real, in what sense are they real? That kind of thing. But also, if we're thinking of just, you know, what is a person, how do we know that we are us, right? How do you know that you are you, the same you that you were 10 minutes ago? I mean, I don't (laughs) know if I'm the same as I was 10 minutes ago. Isn't that like, I guess, because like your cells change, right? Isn't that part of it? Like you're you're constantly losing and regaining things physically. Yeah. So your cells are constantly dying and regenerating. Obviously not all of them at once. No. <laughs> <laughs> but not I'm not an exact carbon copy of who I was 10 minutes ago probably. Like some skin cell fell off and blew off into the air and is now making dust in my room. Right. So <laughs> do you think that you are the same person you were 10 minutes ago? Um yes. why do you think that um just because even though like I know like skin cells probably fell off or whatever like I don't think I underwent any drastic enough change to like change my viewpoint or my stances on anything really or like how I act how I talk for the most part, the components that I identify with are still the same as they were 10 minutes ago. Okay. So do you think if I took half of your cells and I changed them right now, you would still be you? I think as long as I still act and think in the same way as I did, and like I didn't imagine myself changed at all, really. Especially if I didn't, I wasn't like aware of it. I guess, no, you can change without being aware of it. But, like, I don't think that would necessarily change who I am because I I don't think that things changing physically with you change necessarily who you are. I think they definitely have the possibility to, like, just thinking about, like, disabilities. Like, if someone suddenly, like, went to war and lost their arm, (laughs) um, I don't think they would... It doesn't necessarily change who they are, but I think it definitely has the potential to. But I don't think the physical components of a person makes who they are and what they identify as. But I do think with when it comes to disabilities, a lot of people can identify with those, even if they weren't born with them. So I think it definitely has the potential to, but it doesn't necessarily change who they are. (laughs) The physical could impact the psychological. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so if it's not our material body then that is what constitutes identity, it seems like you're going down, um, well, I'm not sure which road you're going down because there are a couple of forks you could take, but Mm -hmm. 
it seems like to you, the psychological component is more important when it comes to what makes identity. And then the the physical components play a role. Is that right? Yes, I think that's where I'd go. I always have this problem in philosophy discussions with philosophers is that they've already thought about this way more deeply than I have. And so then I <laughs> always am told, especially when I have these conversations with Dylan, he's like, so now you have two options. Like, okay, great. Okay. Thank you for telling me what my options are. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. No, it's you have fine. infinite options, please. <laughs> it's just that we're we're trained like Socratic style. So we're pushed down a particular road and then forced to engage with it. No, I, I completely understand. It's just that I'm kind of like, a lot of times I'm thinking on the fly for these and like speaking out my ideas as I'm thinking them. And then I haven't thought about them to the same degree. But no, anyway, continue. that's okay. That's like, that's exactly the point, right? That's why this is fun. <laughs> so, okay. But the reason I'm pushing you down a particular road is because I have an idea I want to hear your thoughts on. Mm-hmm. So, but first I want to ask you, so when you're thinking about psychology as this you know fundamental part of identity is it what is it about psychology that makes the difference the right like what is it about our psychology that makes us distinct well I feel like it's no one else is in your thoughts but you and Mm -hmm. I feel like how we think impacts basically like almost every aspect of us because like our internal monologue and just our brain (laughs) kind of chooses all of our actions it it's how we decide what we do when we do it it's how we convey our ideas it's what creates our ideas and it kind of constitutes how we view the world like even if your eyeballs are the ones seeing things that goes to your brain to be interpreted. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what is it then that makes you as a how old you're 2022? Yeah, as a, a 22-year-old human, the same human that you were when you were 6 years old and the same human that you're going to be when you're 50 years old. Also, I'm realizing I'm only 21, but maybe this episode will <laughs> when I'm 22, so who knows. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry. No, it's fine. I forgot my own age. I've aged you in the course of this conversation. (laughs) Okay. Can you repeat the question, though? Because I got distracted by me realizing I'm not 22 years old. You're so good. Hey, (laughs) philosophy tends to make people have existential crises all the time. So there you go. No, my question was, so how do you know that you, as a 21-year-old human, as we've now established you are, Yes. how do you know that you are the same thing? that you were when you were six years old and the same thing that you will be when you're 50 years old. Okay. So I would say I'm not the same as I was when I was six years old. Okay. Um, And I probably won't be the same when I'm 50 years old. And I think that does partially have to do with like the brain and psychology, just in that, like how, we are able to process things and think about things is so drastically different when we're like six years old versus now at 21 that I can't say I'm the same as I was then because I'm 
distinctly not just like in I don't act like I'm six years old I don't think like I'm six years old and so who I was then is not who I am now and I think that's why I would say like people definitely their identities can change and I think a really distinct part of this is that right now I'm able to identify as a young adult and with that comes a lot of I don't know things that I'm able to identify with about this age group and I know the idea of there being distinct age groups especially like teenagers or young adults is relatively newer um because like it wasn't teenagers weren't even like a concept until the 50s really um but I think when those sorts of groups are created it creates this whole new thing you can identify with and can characterize you Mm -hmm. um and how you act and how you think of yourself and I think like I've gone through puberty so I feel like I'm in that way I've definitely changed since I was six but I've also like gone through so many formative experiences that I literally can't identify with my six-year-old self as I would have when I was six right if that makes sense (laughs) and so one of the things that you said there was that you think that you are distinct from your six-year-old self right yeah okay so along those same lines are you then distinct from your 50-year-old self I would say I probably will be, but obviously I don't know. (laughs) Okay. Can't read the future. Fair enough. (laughs) So if that's the case, then if you are distinct from that version of you, it's not you or how do you know that it is you? Is it still you? I think it like it was me, but I don't think it is current me. Okay. I like that. I'm here for that. know like it's the same sort of thing as like um if a rock is weathered down it's not the same rock Mm -hmm. but it is the same rock right okay but so if you are a distinct thing from the you that will exist in 30 years then why do your decisions now matter for you why do they matter? Because if you will be a distinct thing, like if that self is not you, why should you care? I guess because it's what I will be, even if I change, it's who I will be in the future. Mm-hmm. And so I have to make the changes to transform that future me into a me that. I would want for myself. So do you think there's something that connects you with that version of you? Yes. What is it? (laughs) I guess it would probably be, for the most part, physical, as in, like, you can't, even if I believe, like, what constitutes a person is primarily psychological, that is encased by a body that will always be attached to that brain. And even if things change about like my body or like I can't, it can't be transmitted 
to something else. What if I steal your brain <laughs> and I put it in my body and well, we have a, a Freaky Friday situation going on here? I mean, I would say that in reality, that wouldn't work. Okay, but let's suppose it works. Um, okay. I think if that were the case, give me a second to think about this. I guess I'm really just curious about which one of us is you in that scenario. So in that scenario, I would say if my brain is put into your body, then I would be the brain in your body, not the body with your brain. But that doesn't mean other people are going to view me that way. Mm -hmm. But like, from my point of view, that's what I would say is me. Okay. Because I think it's more to do with your thoughts than it has to do with your exterior body. (laughs) So why do you think you would have different thoughts? Or sorry, why do you think you would have the same thoughts if you were in my body? I think I at first I probably would have thoughts I wouldn't had before, like what the fuck is going on? <laughs> um, so I do think there would be new thoughts. <laughs> However, I think my way of thinking would likely stay the same. That being said, I don't know how how um, physiologically that would work. Like if somehow like the neurotransmitters in your your body somehow were like really different from how they worked in mine and suddenly information came to my brain in a different way like I don't know how physically that would work but um from what I understand I think I would still think the same if it was my brain put there okay so Dylan are you back with us yeah I'm back welcome back So you hopped in on the brain transplant moment, yes? Yeah. I I was about to comment, Hope, on your thing until you mentioned the brain thing at the very end. And then I was like, yep, that's exactly, that's right. (laughs) Okay. Well, in that case, I have a a question for both of you. Okay. So let me paint you a picture. This (laughs) thought experiment (laughs) was proposed by Derek Parfit in order to illustrate his view on personal identity. And basically it starts with the idea that there is a trans teleporter that will take you to Mars. Have either of you heard this before? No. No. Excellent. Okay. So there is a trans tele, or sorry, there's a teletransporter that will take you to Mars. I have apparently reinvented it in my own mind, but um, in this society, it's commonplace to use it. And it works by scanning your body when you get into it, destroying your body, and then recreating it exactly in the place you want to go. Okay, I've heard of this from okay. Star Trek. It's from Star Trek. Well, but the thought experiment, specifically <laughs> in relation to the thing that we're talking about, that I can't tell you what the topic is, <laughs> was um, from Parfit. Okay. Okay, not only will it take account of every physical detail of your body, but you retain your memories, knowledge of your experiences, all of it. So my first question for both of you is, would you use the teletransporter? Yes. I mean, where would it send me? Like, could I go, like, anywhere? And how yeah, much sure. does it cost? It's free. You can just get in it now. I'm all in. <laughs> yes, okay. I'd probably do it. Yeah? Okay, so first I want to ask, why would you be comfortable using it? Because 
I don't care about my existence as a being. Wait, hold on. Oh, okay. Um, wait, hold on, hold on. I don't put stock in the quarks or smaller units that make up my current body. <laughs> and so I have no issues with my identity slash being being recreated somewhere else. Okay. What about you, Hope? Yeah, I would say, as I said earlier, I don't think I, as a person, is from my body itself. It's more my thoughts and actions that constitute mm -hmm. who I am. So as long as I'm able to retain like the same sort of memories and things that would influence the way I act, I would be willing to do it. Okay. So I'm glad you said that <laughs> because I think a lot of a lot of us have that inclination to say that not only is it something psychological, that is what connects us to that second self, right? Whatever it is that is recreated somewhere else, but it is specifically memory that connects us um, because we have memory of all of our experiences in the past. So I have some questions about that <laughs> um, because I, I wonder, so hope if, it's the memory that's important. If it's the psychology that's important. When it comes to your identity, if say that is what we've found that is the connector between you and the six-year-old version of yourself and the connector between the 21-year-old version of you and the 50-year-old version of you, then what happens when you get amnesia? I think that's really tough because, give me a second, I'm thinking this through. <laughs> I do think that if you have amnesia, I mean, obviously there's different types. It does somewhat change who you are in that, I mean, like sometimes people with like dementia or Alzheimer's are like transported back in time and believe they are themselves from a younger time in their lives. Mm -hmm. um, and I think having that viewpoint kind of changes them from who they were when they could fully remember everything. But it doesn't necessarily change how they're viewed by everyone around them. So then that's where I think a lot of conflict comes in those familial relationships because suddenly they view themselves and identify themselves as someone else from who they're being viewed as by everyone around them and that's where i think they get sort of lost in time and i mean those sorts of things can also change the emotions of the person like they can have more mood swings and things in a way that they never had before that sort of affected them so i don't want to be like dementia or amnesia make someone not who they are but I do think it has the tendency to it can change people in a lot of ways I don't know Dylan do you have thoughts I would like before even answering that question I would push back on the memory thing because I don't know if I personally believe that memory is even sufficient to constitute a second self um, because our memories Excellent. are constantly changing and rewriting themselves. And so if we did go by memory constituting 
a, a version of a self, then you would not, th there would be infinite versions of yourself constantly changing. And that doesn't seem to align with iterations of this conversation. But if I did have to accept that memory was a necessary feature, I would just bite the bullet <laughs> as I do. I would just bite the bullet and say that patients with dementia or Alzheimer's or amnesia are not themselves anymore. Well, so I want to ask you then, because you don't have to accept that. I want to give you the opportunity to suggest different criteria that could constitute identity in this way. Okay, see, that's where that's where I have no answer for you. Um, okay, Fair I can enough. begin. I can begin to theory craft. So, I've taken metaphysics and I enjoyed it, but what I took away mainly overall is that there's no correct answers, <laughs> or at least at the very least, we don't have all the pertinent information in order to say or theorize what the correct answer might be yet. But something I did write about was, as I mentioned, the smallest particles, quarks, or perhaps their smaller particles. Mm -hmm. I made an argument that whatever the smallest particles are, those, the form their formation and structure constitute the self. And I don't remember the exact details of my argument, but essentially I was saying that even if there are smaller things than quarks, smaller units, whatever the end point is, there is an end point. I, I made that, that point. Whatever the end point is, that is the foundation of everything, and that's what defines the self. Even if those parts are changing, Oh God, no! I'm I'm I I need to <laughs> I'm I'm walking into the ship of Theseus. Yeah, um, I need to to reread my paper. <laughs> no, that's okay. So I wonder: Are you saying that that whatever the smallest thing is, that is the self, or that the self is made of all those smaller things, so that yeah. is the self? It's it's not just the smallest things; it's the smallest things in the particular structure and organization that they exist in. Right. So is right. the self always changing then? Yeah, that was what I was thinking too. Yeah, I think that any discussions about the self can immediately jump to theoretical discussion in in the form of like, Aaron, you know the theory that's like, you have like the chain of self. I guess yeah. you would call it time slices, right? You you and your you and your time slice form. Um, <laughs> That was almost my topic today. <laughs> there's 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 a theory that like the self is actually just a series of infinite points or not infinite like the points in your life um is each a, a link in a chain and that the chain is the self, right? Or so a even if dimensional time worm. Yeah, even if you are changing as long as the because each chain link is part of the whole chain, the whole chain is you, so you're still part of you essentially. Yeah, so basically you are well you are not your temporal parts, but like every instant of you is a time slice of you, right? So th that is a temporal part that creates the fourth dimensional space time worm that is you because you're extended through space and time. 
So anyway, I'm not <laughs> I'm not subscribing to any one of those theories, but I feel that discussions of the self necessarily will always lead to such theories that are more metaphysically theoretical rather than what we try to measure in our physical dimension, physical and or mental dimensions. Yeah, and I also feel like that conversation too somehow always turns into Okay, so there is one thing, but there are also infinitely many things. <laughs> yes, correct. <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay. So I think all of that's fair to say. And there's a lot of debate in this area. But I'm glad, Hope, that you are adhering to the memory version of this. And it seems like, Dylan, you're adhering to a sort of materialism. And I, I like that we're going down both of those roads because I'm going to take us a step further. And oftentimes when this thought experiment is brought up, people will respond by saying something like, oh, I think memory is what connects us, or I think it's psychological continuity. So if I'm, um, if my experience is continuous with this later stage of self, like that's what connects me, that kind of thing. And a lot of people get stumped when it comes to the teletransporter because they have this inclination not to get in because they don't want the original self or the self that has causal primacy to be destroyed because they have some sort of problem with that idea. And I think if there, if your instinct was instinct was not to get into the machine, then there's there's nothing to stop you from getting in if memory is all that matters. So I'm glad that your views are also consistent with that. But if there is something wrong with destroying that first body, then it might not really be memory or even psychological continuity necessarily that is the connection. And so do you think that there is a physical component that matters when it comes to this kind of continuity over time um i located my paper <laughs> and, and actually my paper does work to answer your question because Excellent. i argued for universal monism yeah in that there only one object exists and that one object is the universe so mm -hmm. neither you i or hope exist only the universe <laughs> and cosmos exist. So to answer your question, th I have no issue with being, <laughs> being teleported or recreated because, in fact, myself doesn't exist. Only the universe exists. And parts within the universe moving around is still th the one object, the universe. Okay, but you would then, you still experience your life as this part. Yes, right. that's I, I acknowledge that my paper does not answer the self-question. <laughs> fair enough. And I, I do appreciate that you brought that up because I think that is like a fair way to look at the universe. It's just then we're still stuck with questions of like this because our experience seems to be, if not distinct from one universal thing, then at least it is kind of like we were talking about earlier our viewpoint is unique as a part of the whole, if that is what the universe is. So, okay, I'm going to take it a step further. Let's say we 
have a fission case. So say you've gotten into the teletransporter, you feel good about it, you're feeling great, you worked um, to get over your fear of getting in it if you had it initially, and you start using it all the time as your regular means of transportation. Say goodbye to carbon dioxide emissions because you don't need to drive anymore. I don't know what's creating these machines. It might be worse for the environment. Who knows? Anyway, (laughs) it's all great (laughs) until it's not great. So one day you get into the machine as usual, but instead of waking up on Mars, you remain conscious and you're confused until the attendant tells you that this new version of the scanner doesn't need to destroy your body in order to recreate it. And so then they give you the intercom so that you can talk to the other you, the one that did make it to Mars. So now my question is, which one is you? Hope, do you have an idea? Well, in that moment, there, well, okay, so I am the one who stayed behind, right? Like, are you? Are you? (laughs) No, but okay, so mentally, like the brain, like I'm hearing from the person saying, oh, you can talk on an intercom with the other one, right? I don't know. Are you? Uh, th- that's the scenario, isn't it? Something is, but is okay. it you? Okay. Okay. <laughs> so here's the thing. <laughs> if mentally, like, I am viewing the guy saying, oh, you want to talk on the intercom to the other version of you, then I would be the one viewing the guy and him saying that. You because... Huh? You mean yourself? Yes. Myself would be that. Because I said earlier that who myself is changes with how I think and how I act and just like different viewpoints. I think in the moment I could be both. But as I change going through different life experiences, meeting new people, changing the way I think, changing the way I act, I would eventually become whichever one that I'm physically in because as I said before even though I don't believe the body constitutes the self what is what I do think constitutes the self is encased within a specific body and Mm. so like whatever body I'm in that's encasing myself is the one I would be because I obviously I'm not having split vision viewing from both the one that went through the process and the one that didn't so whichever one I'm experiencing is the one that I would probably be in the future okay so let's say you were not the one that stayed behind let's say you get in the machine and then you wake up on Mars and then someone hands you an intercom and you're talking to the the body that was the first body right the well not just the body the person that was the first person that got into the machine who was you are they no longer you i would say yeah i think because i feel like if that happened to me <laughs> that would be a very um formative experience that would impact how i viewed things if i were on either end that i would be whatever end i was on i don't think i would stay the same as the other one i agree with an iteration of what you said, except I disagree with the the self being in encased in a body, because, and it's for the reason you 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 meant you commented this right after you said that you said that I'm not having split vision, et cetera, et cetera. So 
I think that it's not about whatever's encased inside the body. It's about what you're experiencing, what your consciousness is experiencing, whatever the consciousness might be, right? So my answer is that, like, I, again, I agree with Hope. The moment that you gain, that the two, the two versions of myself gain consciousness, they become separate people. They become their own individuals because they are experiencing new occurrences that are different from each other. So if we go back to like the visualization of a chain, they used to be, or there used there was one chain, and suddenly that chain has now split off into two separate chains, and so those two separate chains are different people. The chain's not that helpful because then it makes it seem like that they're both the same chain, like all the chains are connected. But that I they're two different people. I'm putting my foot down. You sound like David Lewis. Um, except that in his version, the chain or the space-time worm starts as a distinct space-time worm. So you would have essentially like parallel worms until the point of fission, which is interesting. And I don't know how I feel. Uh, yeah, how does that work? I don't understand that. <laughs> well, it allows for the the possibility of time travel. Okay, but see, here's the here's the issue. If there's parallel chains is the assumption that only one chain exists in the material world until the point of fission? I think that, okay, and I am not an expert in this, but I think that his assumption is that the, the two chains exist independently. Although I have a lot of problems with that idea. Um, yeah, I don't think, I don't know how that works. Because <laughs> they couldn't both time travel back to the same chain. Well, right. No, so that's why they're distinct. But the, the one of the problems with that is that then you have to, again, figure out what makes something distinct. And that means that, I mean, you could make that kind of claim for any moment in time, I feel like, as being distinct. But that's a whole different road. Um, I think what you said makes a lot of sense. And I, I like your, like, split end as as a, a way to conceive of it so i guess the the last part of this thought experiment that i want to ask you guys about is let's say that the body that is scanned undergoes cardiac damage and in just a few days it will die so not just the body the person i should say does that matter <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean does it does it matter <laughs> well okay so think about it like this and i i'm not <laughs> expressing my view on this because i i guess I, I i mean i'm inclined to say that it does matter but i want to hear your thoughts um because if in the first case when you went through the machine that first person that was you died instantly and you were only the second person that continued to exist and experience the world then why would it matter if that death is only delayed by a few days or a few hours? I'm going to answer that by um, sidestepping the, the main question that you're trying to get us this answer. <laughs> I'm going to say it only matters as much as any individual's death matters. And if it matters more to you yourself it's only because you feel you have some relationship 
to the other version of yourself. Mm. Okay, Hope, what do you think? So, am I the one that continued on? Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) I know I can't ask, like, am I that one? But, like, so, the thing is... Like, it would matter if I died. (laughs) (laughs) Like, if my consciousness and who I am is not in the one that, like, transported, but in the one that stayed, then I would say it mattered because I died. But if I was on the other end, I would agree that it only matters as much as, like, any person's death that I would know about matters like okay i think that's fair okay so i know that we've been talking for a while so i will wrap us up then but i guess just hope do you have any takeaways from this conversation and i know that i think the logical next step is now that we've considered some of the metaphysics of this topic than to move into the social components and like how we exist in that nexus of interpersonal relationships. But do you have any takeaways or concluding thoughts? Um, When Dylan first took metaphysics, I was subjected to a lot of conversations (laughs) about metaphysics. Um, And I've always said I hated metaphysics because of that. But this conversation wasn't that bad. What the? You trying to you trying to say something? (laughs) I'm trying to say I didn't really care if like about the debate if you hold something in your hand is it two things or one thing and like all of that really just kind of bothered me. So if you hold a person in your hand, hope is it two things (laughs) (laughs) or infinite things? Or is it one thing or infinitely many things? Yeah, I hated that aspect of the <laughs> physics. And I feel like that's what you'd always talk about. And I'd just be like, oh, God, I cannot deal with this any longer. But it did mean that in my senior seminar, when my professor tried to bring up the ship of Theseus, but didn't remember what it was called, I was the one who was able to say what it was called. So <laughs> there you go. We did learn something from metaphysics. OK, so both of you, would you still get in the teleportation machine? yeah yeah (laughs) yeah okay and dylan what do you think our topic is for this conversation um i think starting from the general to more specific it is about what is the self then it's who am i and then it is derek parfit's uh (laughs) thought experiments yeah that's pretty good the overall question was what do you think constitutes personal identity and it seems like we did not find an answer And that is the best way to have this conversation. Yay! All right, do the the closer. What's the closer? I forgot to prep you for the closer. (laughs) Can you tell me what to say? Just say, just just give a good goodbye and thanks for listening. Okay. Thanks for joining us today and for listening to this exhilarating conversation. I hope it made you question who you are and what you are and if you are. And with that, have a wonderful rest of your day.
Wait, Hope, do I just say an introduction? Yeah, whatever you want it to be. I don't always do it even, I don't think. I think I forget sometimes. <laughs> I'm psyching myself out. It's really not that serious. <laughs> okay. Trust me, I think, like, we have an average of, like, two listeners per podcast <laughs> episode, so. 